Welcome to the power of makeup. This week, your host Lan talks to brand consultant Christina Aristodemo. Christina, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, so good to be here. I love seeing you, and uh, this is on different circumstances. Yes, on the on the opposite ends. This yeah, time. and um, yeah, I just wanted to um, invite you because you know you've got had a span of over fifteen years working in PR with Mac, and most makeup mm. artists um, in the UK pretty much know you, and you know everyone else, and you've always been in touch of bringing the top makeup artists to the table and actually launching some careers as well. Mm. So I just wanted to gauge your insights into, you know, how that was for you, because I think it's quite an asset for a makeup artist to know, you know, why a brand chooses to collaborate with mm -hmm. somebody and what difference it makes in, you know, in mm -hmm. our career. Um, so just give me a little insight on your your first experiences in makeup growing up. Oh, gosh. Um, so I think my first makeup memory was probably when I was about five. Really, really clear memory of mine. Um, my mum is a makeup fiend. Um, when I started in the industry, she was like, you are never leaving this job because she just wanted all of the products. So I'd get the products and I'd bring them home. I wouldn't even look at them and I'd give her the bag immediately because we'd get our new collections on a regular basis and she absolutely loved it. So she, so my love of makeup, and skincare actually and perfume all cosmetics comes from my mum she was always always really well kept and she still is and i remember the blow drying of the hair in the elnet you yeah. know in the 80s and then you know it was kind of the helmet head thing and i don't think sorry mum <laughs> um i don't think her hairstyle has actually changed apart from the color um and she would always always wear makeup every single day even just to go to the supermarket. And I remember it was the bane of our lives because we'd be like, come on, you're taking ages, you know, but she would never leave the house. Even just to go to get a loaf of bread, she would always have her makeup on. Mm. And then um, quite suddenly, um, so my grandmother used to live with us and um, she passed away quite tragically and quite suddenly. Um, I think mum was about 29. Uh, and then all of a sudden she stopped wearing makeup and stopped looking after herself. And I remember that she was just wearing black the whole time. Wouldn't wear makeup, wouldn't do her hair. And then I remember my brother and I, he was, so I was five and he was seven and we were begging her, please mum, can you wear your makeup? But she was obviously really down. And then I remember probably about a year later, she finally put it on again. And it was just a signal to us that she was getting better. And um, coming out of that um, horrible time period. so. You know, and then I, you know, I went through some stuff and then I remember her always saying to me, you know, we're about to go out for a walk in the park and she'd go, Chrissy, what? So like that. She was like, go and put some lipstick on, darling. You know, just put a little bit of mascara. You'll, you'll feel better. You know, so it's always been a kind of like look good, feel better. Mm. You know, and I, I strongly believe in the psychology of makeup, you know, and she, and also another memory was, you know, her searching for the red lipstick. And then every time we'd get home, it would be the same shade that she had at home. And I would be like, I wanna actually kill you. So I'd, we'd be in DH Evans in Wood Green, oh 
God. And then I was, I think I was, you know, I'd be around like eight, nine, 10, 11. It was before mobile phones. So I'd be like, mom, mom, where are you? So in the end, I'd just sit at one of the counters and wait. And then they'd come up and say, the consultants would be like, are you lost? And I was like, no, my mum's over there. She's looking for a red lipstick again, you know, and it would always be the same shade. And then she'd explain to me, I was like, mum, what are you doing? And she said, you know, I have to have like an orange undertone because our skin tone's really sallow. You know, so she'd always say, we've got like a yellow undertone because we've got that Mediterranean colouring. So she'd explain to me the difference between the blue-red. She was like, no, you have to be white and blonde to wear that. And then for us, we need the orange reds. So we'd always talk about the different shades of the lipsticks, you know, and I remember I'd always wear magenta. I loved magenta growing up, you know. Um, and then it took me a really long time to wear a red. It felt quite grown up and sophisticated and it kind of gave me the confidence. And whenever I'd have a big meeting with the executives at MAC and they'd coming over from the States, I'd be like, right, get my red lippy on, you know. And then I'd always like the Lady Danger over the Ruby Woo because the Ruby Woo was the blue red and then the Lady Danger was the orange red and that was my, that was my wedding red. Um, so anyway. That's kind of like my memories of makeup. So in terms of working with makeup artists, um, I think, so I started out doing PR for Origins um, and our makeup range was actually a really good one considering it was, it was more of a kind of skincare and bath and body and sensory therapy range. We had a small um, makeup range as well. So I would look after the makeup artists. It would always be the junior person who would look after the makeup artist. And I remember um, knowing Ruby from back in the day and Daniel Sandler was one of my first um, makeup artists that I met through Origins because he had the links with us in the, within the Estee Lauder group. So they'd kind of give you the list. They'd be like, right, so it would be like Daniel, Ruby, Siona Johnson. So it was all kind of the old school people. It was the Lee Pycrofts you know, all of those, you know, Pat McGrath obviously was on the list. Charlotte Tilbury was obviously on the list. So I kind of knew all of those people. Um, and then we'd always send them kind of like the key collections and things like that. Um, so that was my first foray into looking after makeup artists um, and Sarah Rabin, all of those kind of people. And I remember thinking they're so lovely. They're so lovely, these people. And then, um, so I did PR for, and dealt with press for about five, five, six years. And then I made the move over into Mac and there was this role called artist relations. And I was like, what was that? But I was always intrigued by Mac. And at that point, it was one of those brands where it was on the cusp. It was actually quite small at the at that time, but it was really intriguing. And like everybody wore Mac and everyone was, everyone wore black and it was all really cool. And everyone looked amazing. And I'm like, just don't think I'm cool enough for Mac. But I was really intrigued and it was, it was a phenomenon and it was like within the company where there was that buzz and it was like, oh, Mac's on the up kind of thing. So I was like, oh, it's an exciting place to be. What is artist relations? So I read the job spec and I was like, that's actually exactly what I do, but it's talking to a different audience. So it was more B2B. So it was building a membership program and it was looking after makeup artists. And I was like, oh, I really like makeup artists. But it was kind of expanding it. So it was looking at not just um, fashion and editorial. That was obviously one part. But then it opened up this whole other world. So it was like, you know, film makeup artists, TV makeup artists, 
theatre, um, which was one of my favourite, performing arts and theatre. I was like, oh my God, you know, I love that, love film. You know, so it was all this other area of, of the makeup world that I didn't really know about. Um, and then it was looking after sponsorships and partnerships. Um, and that's how I started kind of getting to know makeup artists. And I remember saying to my old boss, she was like, how's it going? You know, we went for lunch after, um, still actually a really good friend of mine, Malika Jatu. So she's got her own skincare range now. And I remember going for lunch with her and she's like, how's it going at Mac? And I was like, oh, it's really good. And she's like, you know, what, what, you know, what do you really like about the job? And I said, my God, makeup artists are just so grateful. She's like, what do you mean? And I said, I don't have to take them to Claridge's for breakfast. I don't have to take them for lunches. I take them for coffee to Starbucks and they love it. And they're so happy that I actually want to see their portfolio and I take a, an interest in their career. So I remember like reaching out to some artists and saying, oh, hi, um, I'm calling from Mac and I've seen your work in X magazine, whatever, you magazine or Sunday Time Style. And I, I love your work and I'd love to meet you for coffee and I'd love to look at your book. And they were so shocked. They were like, what me? I was like, yeah. They go, oh, yeah, okay. You know, and I could tell they thought it was a bit weird. And I'm like, is this really weird? But I was doing it in a PR way and nobody really looked after me, looked after or kind of gave, they weren't, so makeup artists were the people behind the scenes that made the magic happen, but it was before the influencer thing. I was about to say. It was before yeah. Instagram. It was before Facebook. Mm -hmm. I remember being in a meeting at Mac and then our marketing director at the time, Eleanor, saying, oh, there's this new thing called Facebook and it's been created by these really um, uh, smart kids at Harvard. And it's just like a networking thing. And we were all like, oh. And then I remember when Twitter came out and they were like, oh, tweeting. And we were all laughing about it in the meeting. Going, what's that about? You know, and then I remember the whole Facebook thing. And then I was going, oh, who cares? Like, oh, I had a sandwich for lunch. Like, who cares about what my avocado and toast looks like? And then Instagram came. And I was just like, oh, my God. But then it was really interesting because in my role, I was like, now we can talk about the stuff that we're doing with the makeup artists and there's platforms to talk about it on. Mm. So for us and our job, I was like, oh my God, the storytelling is now coming alive because then we were talking about the whole behind the scenes content and it became really, really interesting and people wanted to know. I was always interested in makeup artists and what they did, you know, and I was intrigued and I was like, you know, what's your inspiration? Where does it come from? And we were one of the first brands to actually spotlight, to shine a spotlight on what you did. It's true, yeah. And where it came from and what the inspiration was and the collaborations and um, the stories. So it, it was really interesting and exciting to be part of it at the beginning. Um, and I always used to remind everyone, I was like, so makeup artists are the original influencers. They are the original influencers, and they are. And then you've got these other influencers, and I'm like, who are all these other people? You know, and now it's kind of going full circle and coming back. Yeah. So it's really good to see. It's exciting. So what, um, obviously, it's so saturated, so many makeup artists. So mm. what was the key things and the key elements of, of the makeup artists, apart from, like, 
was it always because they had a big name or be on editorials? Like, what was it no. about the ones that you choose? Because obviously, I remember in the time when I got my little invite, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then my friends were like, uh, excuse me, I've been doing it longer than you. Why did you get an invite? And yeah. I haven't. And then I'll be like, you know, and they're like, can I have the contacts? And I was like, well, I'm not sure if I can give you the contact yeah. because it's not mine to give because, yeah. you know, it is exclusive. And it was that sort of exclusive when you turn up an event and yeah. you see, you align yourself. Like, yeah. you know, I was standing next shoulder to shoulder, Val Garland at an event you had, mm. and, and all these, you know, Alex Box and loads of these makeup artists. I was like, uh, I feel like a bit of a fraud, <laughs> you know? Because you are with a lot of people with other experiences. So, yeah. what was it that made certain. Oh, well, how, how we chose. List? Yeah, how you, yeah how what you the chose. hit list was. Okay. Yeah. It was almost like. Um, an innate instinct like you know when you talent spot people you know when there's a casting director mm. I'm not saying that I'm a casting director you know whatever but you know like you've got someone like Nina Gold and mm. she's a really big name she's a really big casting director in films and then you think how did she know who was be right for that part and then you listen to her speak and she just knew it was just an instinct. And I think it was a combination of things. So like mm -hmm. with Mac, it was a super creative brand and you'd want to, you'd want to find artists who could show off your brand, who could show off the array of colors, who knew how to blend, who knew how to use the color, who were super creative. So we'd look at your work because you were always super creative. You loved color. We'd look at Isamea French. You know, she started off as a body painter. I remember that was when I first she caught my eye and I was like, she's, she's something else, you know? And then, then she kind of went into the fashion and then Tom Ford got her and it, YSL and, you, you know, you saw the journey. So it wasn't, but then equally, we wanted people who made skin look beautiful too. So like there was a combination and there was different categories. So in my head, I'd be like, okay, these are the super creative people. You'd have people like Pablo, you know, mm -hmm. Dean with the body painting. You'd have like Julia Townend, people like that. You'd have the college lecturers. So we had so many different pockets of artists. And because it was so broad, you'd have the film people, you'd have the fashion and editorial people, you'd have uh, the body painters. So it was, and then I would always say, right, the up and comings. So you'd look at the new talent and it's the grassroots that's really important. Um, and then I remember, you know, people, so for instance, Pavan, who um, came to see me, she was like, she contacted me and she said, you know, I'm the fastest um, henna artist in the world. I'm in the Guinness Book of Records. You know, and then you wouldn't necessarily make the correlation between makeup and henna and you'd kind of go, how's that going to work? But I was like, there's something exciting about this. There's something really interesting about this. And then we became really good friends. And then we used her years later for a masterclass where we were doing Asian bridal. And I was like, now we can use Pavan. That works now because actually we'll get Ambreen to do the bridal makeup and then Pavan will do we'll do all of the henna that goes on. And then she was using our pro products to do the henna. So you kind of make those connections. Um, 
and it evolves and I think the grassroots level support is so important because I always said and the team always said if you support somebody from the beginning of their career they will remember yeah. and they'll be loyal to you later and you're you're a perfect example of that like you never forgot that Max supported you from the beginning nope. <laughs> you I know and we became really good friends yeah um, the fact that you gave me that power and alongside like it was just you know, as an artist, you know, you're so used to be behind the scenes. Mm. And then when you have fellow artists recognize you, you feel really humbled. And, you know, and to walk into, like, people often ask, like, how do you know you've made it? And, you know, everyone measures it differently. Mm. And my measurement of, because, you know, being self-taught, always grafting, struggling, mm. I felt like my moment was the day that you guys recognized me and I could walk into the Mac store and people come and shake my hand and say, can I help you, Lan? And like, they know me, they, they know my work and the, they say, I'll get you whatever you need and just put in the PR package and off I go. Yeah. And like, the fact that it was the first sort of insight that I got actually about freebies, mm. you know, <laughs> like PR, like without even mm. feeling like um, I was selling anything. It yeah. felt like I was being gifted for my craft. Yeah. And you know, that for me was like, ooh, that's I a think eureka moment of like, yeah, I'm somebody. Yeah, you know? I think that was the big difference with our approach that we would we were super generous with product, mm. and people really appreciated it, you know. And it's all about getting the product into the right hands, um, and then that person will transform the product, and they'll show it off for you. Yeah, you know. So, and we worked a lot with the guys in Soho. We we were like. So we had our team, we were um, the artist relations team, and then we had our Soho team. So it's now Carnaby Street, but we had that small little shop on Fubert's Place, and it was like that artist hub. And they were an extension of our team, and we all worked really closely together, you know. And then I, I would go to the store and I'd say, you know, are there any artists that we need to know about? So they would then say, you know what? This artist came in the other day, you need, you need to, you need to get in touch with them. So we all worked really closely together because they were artists in the mm. store and then they would alert us to people that they'd worked with. Oh, they were like, oh, I was on a shoot this weekend with this person. You know, I yeah. assisted that person. You should know this person. Um, so we all worked really together, closely, closely together. And I think that was also the part of why it was so special. And then if we met somebody like you, we would introduce you and say, you need to know, re recognize this person. And when they come in, you need to give them the red carpet oh, wow. treatment, <laughs> you know, give them whatever That's they good. want. Um, and our brand managers were always, always really supportive and understanding of it. And that's why it worked. But also, From you know, the top on the down. top down, but also in the retail sector, mm. you know, people were clamming to work. At yeah. And um, because it was so like you go down the street and you could almost notice a Mac makeup artist. Yeah. You know, or because they were allowed to be themselves. Mm. They were the first brand that, you know, everybody wore black, but they could, it wasn't a uniform. They could individualize, you know, there were, t there were Viva Glam t-shirts, but you, you could cut them up and you could, you could do things with them. You didn't have to wear it a certain way. They could wear black, as long as it was black, as long as it wasn't faded. My friend Mark used to get so cross about that. You know, he was like, it's gotta be Mac Black, 100% top to toe, but you can wear anything, you know? And because the makeup needs to 
the makeup needs to show. So that's why everyone was so creative with their hair and makeup because the, the black kind of gave them the canvas and then they could just be super creative. Um, and did that influence you on your own personal style? Oh my like what, God. You know, did it make you feel... Oh my God, I was so... I was so uncool. It? I was so uncool. Not that I'm cool now, but like it influences you in ways that you don't realise. So like you start going to fashion week and then you, you slowly, slowly start, it's like that Devil Wears Prada moment where she's, she kind of, she sort of, Anne Hathaway sort of laughs when they're talking about the cerulean. And she's like, what you don't realize is that, you know, you no doubt fished that out from like a bargain basement bucket, you know, but you've been influenced by the people in this room. And then she's suddenly humbled and she shuts up. And you're like, actually, you, you don't realize how you just, you absorb things when you're backstage. Um, and it does sound like name dropping and all of that, but it, it's true. You are influenced by it and your style does change and evolve. And then you listen to Terry Barber and you're like, oh yeah, it's not really cool. And I remember I brought my mum in to have her makeup done by Terry for her birthday. It was like the biggest treat. And then they had this big thing they, they kept like going out for cigarettes and then coming back in, they were both rebels, you know? And then he was like, he did this, her this most amazing smoky eye and just lifted her face. It was like a facelift that he gave her. And I was like, mum, you look amazing, you know? And she was like, okay. And he gave her a nude lip, a smoky eye and a nude lip. She was like, Terry, I want a red lip. And he was like, no. She said, why? And he said, you, it's the rule. You don't do, you don't do smoky eye and red lip. And she said, what I do. I'm Joe and that's what I do. And he went, all right then. So he did it and then he looked back and he went, actually, it looks all right, you know. Um, so there's all those like rules, um, mm. but not, you know. And then going back to the whole styling and clothing and stuff, I remember when I first came and I was like, oh my God, these people are so cool. And then they, they were all wearing designer stuff and I was like, oh, and I felt under pressure and then slowly slowly you find your own style and you you find your way and then you're just like I am who I am and the funniest so my friend Steph used to laugh at me because I was like my favorite shop is is um so one of them was Karen Millen and it still is and I don't care because it fits my body shape but my very favorite shop was always Jane Norman always <laughs> and it still is and I don't care what anybody says and they used to all laugh at me going oh my god you shop from Jane Norman and I'm like it's bodycon I don't care it suits my body shape. So, and the nice thing was you kind of could mix it up. So you would wear like a designer something with a high street something, but you kind of like made it your own. And at that point where you wearing red lipstick, cause I don't ever recall you ever not having red lipstick. And if you didn't have red lipstick, it's almost like, yeah, something was something wrong. Something was wrong. Something it became wrong. my signature. Yeah. I became more comfortable and um, I kind of, because I went to so many masterclasses. I went to so many makeup masterclasses and you kind of sit in the back and you pick up all of these things. So then um, you'd be like, well, I'm, I'm an artist relations. I need to switch things up a little bit. I can't wear the same makeup every day. Um, so then you'd be like, some days you'd be like, I'm going to wear it. I'm, I'm going to do like a thick eyebrow with just a bright red lip or I'm going to do no mascara today. You know, and it doesn't look lazy because you're like, this is considered and it's a trend. You know, so you'd be like, it, it's, it's not that I've not had time and I've slept in. This is my look for today, you know. But then my signature became the red lip 
and that was my thing you know and then if you feel rubbish you put the red lip on and then you put the big glasses and you still feel glamorous and you can have your hair scraped back in a bun but you still feel yourself um so yeah no that did become my signature but it was really funny because when i was at origins i was the most colorful person i never owned a piece of black clothing ever i was like i morphed into what the brand so it was Mm. like linen cotton you know you weren't allowed to wear leather like you became the brand um and i remember you know smelling of ginger essence because that was our scent and then I would always wear like, I would match my eyeshadow to my clothing. Mm. That was my thing when I was at Origins. So I had this like, I would always wear turquoise, that was my favourite colour. So it'd be this turquoise eyeshadow from MAC. It was um, Electric Eel. I don't know if you remember that one. I do. It's like an original one. And then there was another one called Parfait Amour. Um, which was like lilac. So I'd match, I'd match my eyeshadow to my clothing. Um, and then when I went to Mac, it was just pure black and then my style changed. I mean, this, this is throughout those years. So what sort of um, big changes do you think uh, has happened since you've been there? And now what's happening now with that whole new influence and social and, you know, life around pandemic as well? Oh my you God. You know, like what is... What have you seen uh, change in the industry for Um, the worse or for the better? I think for the better. I really love the whole clubhouse thing. I love, love, love clubhouse. I'm old school and I, I like audio. Mm -hmm. I love podcasts. I don't know if it's my age. So obviously I love the visual. I love the Instagram. But when you, you introduced me to clubhouse, I was, I remember saying to you, you were like, do you know about Clubhouse? And I'm like, do you mean house party? And I was like, oh God. You're like, no, 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 it's this new thing. And I was like, oh, bloody hell. My whole thing was like a new platform to keep up with. What is this? And then I remember listening in and I was like, this is amazing. I can do my washing up while I'm listening. I love the radio one in the background all the time. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm learning so much on this. And then people who you would never have access before, like Alex Box, you would have to go to a Mac event to see her. And then all of a sudden she's there speaking on the panel and then whoever's in the audience can be invited up to the stage. And then they can talk to Alex Box and she's answering their questions. So there's not that barrier anymore of, you've got to be on the VIP list to get into this mm. room. So I think that's a big change. It's a lot more democratic now, isn't it? Yeah. So I think that's changed the face. And I think people are sharing a lot more and people are a lot more, um, I don't know, I don't know if it's because there've been so many redundancies and so much hardship and people are a lot more willing to help each other out, you know, and collaborate. And there's a lot more cross collaborations. And I think that's because business is so tough now that people are looking outside of the box. So it could be like, well, Makeup and clothing is an obvious one, but you know, it could be like, oh, what's that brand doing? Or maybe I can, I can get on board with that. Yeah. And it's, is everyone helping everyone, you know? And then what sort of um, influence, I guess, on the PR aspect that you see is really important? Relationships, relationships every time. And I think personality, if somebody is difficult um, or tricksy or unreliable, 
and unprofessional, even if they're the most brilliant at their craft, and, and then there's another person right next to them and you're looking and you're thinking, right, which one do I choose? You are, it's a no-brainer. You're going to choose the person who's pleasant and polite and professional and on time. You know, so there's, there's, not, there's not room for the whole diva thing anymore and the swearing and the being nasty to people and the old school, I don't know, you know, like when we were talking to Mary Greenwell the other day mm. and she was saying there was absolutely no room for nastiness personalities, egos, that's the thing of the past. It, it was almost like a badge of honour before, wasn't it? Where it's like, the nastier you could be. Um, yeah. You know, th there'd be like... There's so many stories. There'd be legendary stories of backstage, yeah. like, oh, God, so-and-so got shouted at, or that casting director did this, or the designer did that, or whatever. But I don't think you really hear as many of those stories anymore. Everyone's just really respectful and cool, and it's like, you don't need to do that. And when you get to a certain level and when you're confident in what you do, you don't really need to be shouty or prove yourself, like prove yourself in that way and assert your authority because your work speaks for itself. So it almost shows somebody who's um, not as established or maybe not as confident in their craft and they're, they're kind of overcompensating in a different way. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I always find the most incredible people your Rubies, your Daniels, they're, they're like the most humble and kind. And I found that with a lot of the beauty journalists, the directors were the nicest, nicest people and so kind, you know. And I remember um, Anna Marie Soloui, who was from Vogue at the time, was one of my most favorite, favorite journalists. I was an assistant and she treated me exactly the same as she did the brand manager, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, what is what is that phrase like, manners maketh the man? <laughs> like, it's so true. Yeah. Um, being gracious. Being gracious. And then what's your sort of top tip then for, for longevity? Because obviously you've seen people gone. For longevity, I think you need to keep adapting. I think adapt or die. I think adapt or die. Adapt I think or that's going to be the title yeah. for Ad you. <laughs> adapt or die. Because, yeah. And the reason I say that is because I'm a very much status quo type of person. I'm a Capricorn. I'm very, a very traditionalist. And I'm like, oh, what is this stupid new thing now? You know, and, oh, God, you know, rolling my eyes and like, ugh. But um, you've got to move with the times and you've got to embrace it. But you've got to find a way of making it your own. Like Terry Barber. We, he resisted going on Instagram for so long because he was just like, oh, God, you know. Me too. It's not his thing, okay? Yeah. He's not, he, was not, he was not a digital marketing person. He was not social media. He was understated. He is understated. He's just like, people know him. He's like the godfather. He doesn't have to do anything. He's just bloody achingly cool. with Whatever he says, everyone's hanging off his every word. But... Um, my friend, the PR director, was like, Terry, we ha we've got to. And he was like, right, I'm going to do it in my way, though. And if you look at his Instagram, he's managed to do it in such a clever way. I love his Oh, my God. His is one of my favourite Instagrams. I mean, he, he will put, like, beans on toast juxtaposed with, like, an orange eye, you know. And I'm just like, you are so damn clever, man, you know. 
So I think, um, I think you've got to move with the times. I think you've got to adapt. I think you've got to not forget where you came from, keep it real. And I think you need to keep in touch with everybody that you've met along the way and not forget them. I keep in touch with everybody. I mean, you know. Don't burn bridges. Yeah. Don't forget people. Don't think you're too big. Don't think you're bigger than the brand because you never are, ever. You know, um, you're only as good as your last gig as they say um and just just be kind yeah you know every, everyone keeps saying saying that but genuinely be genuine be authentic um yeah and yeah i think be kind be kind yeah be kind Definitely. and so what's um i know you're moving forward now so what's next in line for you oh my god i've got so many things I've got Anything so many I should ideas. Know about, that people should know about? Um, okay, so I haven't done it yet. I've had it on my mind, though, and it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a podcast. Yes. I've spoke to you about this. I've spoken to you about this. I'm going to do a blog, and I'm going to do a podcast, and it's going to be centred. It's not going to be necessarily on beauty. It's going to be about loss, mm -hmm. but not in a negative way, not in a downer way. It's going to be about all sorts of loss, and overcoming it and working through it because um, people who experience loss every day and nobody talks about it mm. or no one talks about it enough. And I think with the pandemic, people are opening up more about mental health yeah. and it's a lot more accept, not acceptable, but it's not as taboo. And, um, but I think people still don't talk about bereavement enough. And mm. I think that, um, I think that there needs to be a forum where people can go. I was searching a lot. I was searching a lot through my experiences and I didn't find a lot. I didn't mm. find a lot out there. Um, yeah. And I think that you want to know that everybody is in the same boat. Everybody experiences mm -hmm. it, yeah. but no one talks about it. And it's the elephant in the room and it's almost like, oh, how long, how, how long ago did that happen? Mm. Oh, God, that was ages ago and she moved on yet. And it's kind of like... You don't want to be defined by what's happened to you, but it has happened and it does shape your future. Yeah. And you want to be able to help other people. And my whole thing is, if something good can come out of this nightmare, I want to make it happen. And I want to help other people. Um, and even if I can reach one person or five or ten, if there's a little nugget that I can give them that will say, you know, you're not, you're not mad, you're not going crazy, you will get through this and things will get better tomorrow then. Yeah. That's what I want to do. That sounds amazing. I look forward to it. Um, yeah. So I have to do it now because I've told you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I asked. Um, yeah. I love to, you know, because you're so used to giving, you know, sometimes, you know, you to, it's nice to see that you're doing something for yourself as yeah. well as giving. Um, it's cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so with everything's happening now, what would you tell your younger self? God. Or advice for someone that's maybe starting out. Mm. God. Because I know so, that, that makeup and PR sort of go hand in hand, and you yeah. do have to like you've touched on so many things as yeah. a person that we have to to do to even get the brand sponsorship or the support we need. Yeah. Um, I think of? I think don't take things personally. I think remember that business is business. Mm -hmm. I think don't give up. Um, and I think that everything happens for a reason. And I know, you know, that's a, such a common thing. But I think when you get a knockback, 
don't don't um don't take no for an answer and also like i remember when i i went for a role and i wanted i was an assistant manager at the time at origins and i went for the pr manager role and i didn't get it and i was devastated by it but you know what then i got the mac role Mm. And I never looked back and I thought if I'd have got the origins role, I may have never, I may have missed out on the Mac role. And those were the, some of the best years of my life. I got yeah. to travel and I got to meet some incredible people who I'm still friends with today. And it showed me a different part of the industry. So I think every setback, every failure, everything you think is a failure is a growth opportunity. Yeah. So turn it round and look at it that way. And I think you need to start your work experience early start making connections, networking is so important. You know, so I'm actually gonna go back to my old school and I'm gonna be doing some talks with those kids, with the 14 year olds, with the 16 year olds, get your work experience, write your black book of everyone you know, think about who your parents know, who's got their own business, who can you reach out to and do work experience with every single one of them. Amazing advice. And keep in touch with everybody. Yeah, 100%. Network, network, network. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I'd strongly believe that. It's not what you know, it's who you know. It is who you know. Yeah, 100% because that's how I, I think I've managed to. All of the jobs so, yeah. I've had since I've left Mac are with people I've known for years. You know, my, my old mates who have now got PR companies, you know, who are like, what are you doing now? And I'm like, oh, nothing much. Oh, do you want to help me up this project? Yeah, all right then. And it's all old friends together and we were having fun. That's amazing to hear. And that's yeah. a testament to your personality as well and who you are. So uh, I just thank want to wish you. you luck for everything. And I'm so thank excited you, for you. So I'm excited thank you. for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thank you. Thank you for giving me your insight. And, thank um, you. It's been amazing. You're welcome.